Hello and welcome to episode 291 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 9th of August 2019. My name is Chris Thurston and joining me tonight is Tom Francis. Hello. And Philippa War. Hello. The internet's foremost Animal Crossing grudges and team fight tactics correspondent. Mm-hmm. How are the animals? Oh. What have they done wrong? We're, no, we don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly just Octavian still. And I don't know if he's done anything else wrong, to be honest, because I'm not speaking to him. And I haven't since, I think, February. <laughs> so, well, Thank you for that update. And that concludes the news section. <laughs> <laughs> oh, It's good to have you back on the podcast, Pip. Thanks. Have I been away a while? I think so. It's been I several. I talked about teamfight tactics quite a lot. Yeah, we did. That was like last month, I think. Oh. Do you want to talk about teamfight tactics quite a lot? I mean, I could. I've got <laughs> a real problem with it, though. You've a problem? How? I keep playing it. <laughs> For me, that seems to be a bit of a problem because it's getting in the way of my actual to-do list. And then I broke free of its grasp for long enough to actually bring out my to-do list. And then I immediately, accidentally started looking at motorway service station reviews. <laughs> so I feel today has been a write-off, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, was, was Teamfight Tactics, I know you, you were trying to play all three of the auto battlers. Yeah. Was that the last one in your run? Or? No, that was the second one I polished off. I polished the first two off really quickly, like within the first day or so of playing both of them. And polishing off means getting to number one at some point. Yeah, like finished. I finished. You completed them. Finished it, okay. Finished them. <laughs> There's no, uh, no further content. I, I came first in one match of them <laughs> and that I finished. Um, and it's just, it's still just auto chess that I haven't managed. But in my defense, I haven't actually played it since I decided that was my challenge. Or like, <laughs> I, I haven't played it since the last time you mocked me about this being my challenge (laughs) yes there was a parting shot as you came up the stairs to do the podcast that i will not forget wow (laughs) it's terrifying i've forgotten it (laughs) oh it won't get forgotten tom (laughs) but yeah so that's mm. uh i suppose uh, have you played it at all auto just no but mostly just because it's really you have played it i've since since oh since then oh, sorry since i meant then. ever oh yeah no i have right. um but the problem with it is that it's really janky and really um just slow like mm. it takes forever to load into a game it takes forever to like get anywhere like you are so at the mercy of loot drops more so than any of the other ones like the actual loot combinations are complicated and do you think oh. it's gonna die off now that the two large companies are in town <laughs> i don't know i hope i didn't want to not. say big boys <laughs> <laughs> we've I, said it now uh, <laughs> yep <laughs> i hope not i don't know how it is to play it on mobile actually because i know that they released the mobile version but i couldn't get that to download ah. so i don't know but like all of the people that were involved in the original dota on all of them but like a lot of them went on to get jobs at the oh right the the biggest studios so maybe that would happen but i yeah i'd i think i yeah mm, that's a concern Mm. yeah you know did you invent this genre and then other people came in and went (laughs) woohoo i'd love to know what that conversation was like between them and valve because valve had had them out uh you know to their studio and i've I've got to assume part of that conversation was do you want to just join us and work for us and they evidently did not and they came to this sort of mutual understanding where valve would get to make their own um and the auto chess people could sell auto chess 
Um, mm. And, but I wonder, like, from their perspective, what is that choice like? Because it's not like if they say no. I mean, they gave Valve their blessing to kind of make basically a rip off of it. But if they hadn't, would Valve really have not made a game in this genre? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I've got to assume they would have anyway. So it's really a choice of like, or like do you Valve want- would have just said no, you can't monetize this or whatever, right? Like, yeah. so what would the yeah, I don't know. Because the do mobile have a one is just pass for it as well, don't they? Right. At this point, but sorry, the mobile one. The mobile one is kind of like its own thing, right? It doesn't. Uh, Valve don't own any of that, I assume. I don't think so. So they've, yeah, like because they were able to make their own thing, which is the thing that I tried to download on mobile, but my phone wasn't having any of it. Um, and then there's yeah then there's team fight tactics and underlords and underlords has a phone version and 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 (laughs) so yeah it's one of those things where like i don't i don't know how i feel about the ethics of it i think i i will try and you know occasionally bung them some money just because i don't want them to you know not get anything from this or i don't know like because maybe maybe i'm being really wrong-headed maybe they've done absolutely amazingly from this and you know no regrets or whatever i don't think i've seen any interviews about it but yeah you've been playing loads of team fight predominantly though yeah right? and it's been updated quite a lot so i'd be interested to know because i haven't actually played it in a little while mm. i'd be interested to know if you've had a sense of it changing much or evolving Hmm, interesting, because things like um, new champions getting added is obviously also, uh, you know, it's it, that's the a big thing. And, you know, item changes, like they changed a bit how items um, worked. Um, the thing that's really annoying me at the moment is that you can't mouse over a noble and get the noble, like, description. I'm like, oh, I can't remember it. Noble specifically? Yeah, as in like in the in the update, the most recent update, for some reason the the mouse over tooltip that it gives you that explains what the thing does, it just says noble. And it's kind of like I mean maybe that's just a comment on the aristocracy or something. It's like, yeah, what do they do? But yeah, it, that that's kind of annoying me. But that's If you don't know, it's not your place to ask. <laughs> if you have to ask the price, you can't afford it. It'd be an interesting approach to the economy. Um sorry, yeah, no, so but to more answer your question it's been weird because i think my way of playing it has changed because they introduced ranked mode right so i am very much more about the efficiency i'm paying like a lot more attention to in the in the so to briefly describe it for people who don't know it like, should i do that or I think briefly because obviously we talked about it a bunch already but yeah. okay so essentially you pit groups of champions against each other on what looks like a chessboard but in this case it's hexagonal uh, spaces rather than squares and they automatically do battle but it's um <laughs> they automatically chess <laughs> they automatically chess but um the the ways that they interact with each other are the things that you have control over or can try and control so you pick up champions from a a shared pool and you try and combine them so three level one champions make a level two champion three Mm -hmm. level twos make a level three and they are a lot more powerful um anyway so there are these sections every so often where you can actually see them running around in a big circle in the middle and you have to run over to them to pick them up um this is not the shop right (laughs) yeah there's a shop as well this is like the bonus round 
Yeah, this is the yeah. So you've got the stuff that you can you you can buy the champions on the on the little board at the bottom um, with the essentially your draft each time it gets um, shown on the screen at the bottom and you can pick any of those out if you want and if you've got space um but the these rounds are like you are physically fighting or not fighting but physically trying to get ahead of other people or to get to a specific champion who's running around the board before other people so there's an actual like physical skill element and it um you have to factor in your position on the leaderboard because the people who are the furthest down get to go first so that's like their way of that's their catch-up mechanic basically um but increasingly i've been really interested in the items that are on the board rather than the champions because i'm like well mostly unless something would complete a, a hero set like and i'm really far down the list so i could actually get it Mm. like i sort of i do a cursory scan for "Hmm, if this person is still free by the time i get released from my little you know space prison (laughs) to actually go and pick someone up um then i will just actually scan the items that each of them have because this is uh, where a big difference comes in from the from the main sort of draft that you can pick from or read redeal and pick from new things um is that each of the things that each of the champions that's running around in the middle has an item that they come with and so um it might be the component for a bigger item or it might be the bigger item itself and so that's a really interesting thing when you're kind of like oh i have no use for this champion whatsoever it's not got any synergy with the things i'm trying to do but the static (laughs) shiv would be amazing right about now so you know you might just make a beeline for them and then immediately sell them but the item you'd bung onto someone else or you'd be like "Ooh, that person is useless or like really low down you know you start having to make all of these other calculations like i could get a champion that is worth five coins and so i could sell them and use that money and that would actually give me quite a significant boost financially if i want to like sift through the deck a bit more um or i could pick up the really really cheap hero that i kind of have no financial gain from because it only you know you can only sell it for like one gold but it's carrying a chain mail and if i marry the chain mail with the the sword thingy then i get the guardian angel uh item that i can put Uh, on a knight and that you know resurrects them with a thousand no with 800 health i think (laughs) 800 a thousand whatever so those Um, things items in themselves and their components with this other item yeah Yeah, so yeah so there's just all of these different synergies that you start to pay attention to and i think that's why i can't answer your question accurately at the moment because I have been getting to grips with the game roughly mm. at the pace that it was coming out. And then I really doubled down on it this time because, especially because ranked is yeah. now an option. And so I'm sort of working my way up through silver and just being like, hello, <laughs> I will take that hush. Yes. Goodbye. Yeah. Out of so, my way. You say you're so close to it that it's harder to see what the, those changes are doing to the balance. Cause they added a whole like new allegiance, right? And like, um, Hextech. So they've like, yeah, like 
it's weird because you know my memory. Mm -hmm. So my sense of all of that is a bit jumbled because I played a lot of it and I was kind of a bit, oh, I don't know how much of that was stuff that existed before and I just wasn't paying attention to it and how much stuff was like that has actually changed. Mm. So yeah, I feel like I'm not a good, I'm not a good correspondent. Well, I mean, but it's true for how you experience these things, right? You naturally tunnel vision on particular parts of it, and then you're because that's the only way to process how many different moving parts there are. Well, I mean, because like I went, I moved away from League for a while as well. So and and Dota as well, more so Dota actually. So I'm a bit lost with, especially with newer items. I'm like, mm. I don't know what that item is. I don't know what it does in Dota and actually some of the new heroes I'm like who's that like what's happening (laughs) um so it's it was that thing of trying to get my brain back into gear and like keep up with patches and figure out you know like all of that other stuff Mm. you know so um like there are moments that I do remember things changing like oh they've added Twisted Fate you know all of that stuff um but (sighs) Yeah, the other stuff, it's more of a kind of sense of, like, knights are good at the moment. Gunslingers are a lot better than they used to be, or at least I'm a lot better at using them than they used to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that's the point at which I'm like, wait, so does that mean they are, or does it mean that I am, or does it mean that, right. like, people play differently in ranked, or mm-hmm. does it mean, you know, all of that I'm stuff. I'm interested to know if, if playing ranked and, and doing more of that stuff has encouraged you to um like look at external sites or guides or tier lists or anything at all well i had a really annoying moment where like um <laughs> uh dry bear uh rory mm. from uh previously of uh high res he's done a bunch of guides to team fight tactics and i was like just i i booted one of them up because i was curious about what he's doing now after um after uh high res and stuff and so i was watching it and i i started the video like what could he know that i don't and then i watched that video and then i immediately went into the biggest win i've had in like a very long time and i was like oh no (laughs) it's this damn it so that was a bit of a humbling thing but um i would also yeah i would recommend his uh videos for people who maybe think that they're better than them (laughs) um yeah that was kind of good and also i don't know there's like i've been i'm trying to figure out how i want to approach items and stuff because i know that there will be uh, ways that are optimal to do it but it's this thing of trying to balance that with what's actually pleasurable in the moment like yeah. i've been trying to wean myself off ionic sparks which are these <laughs> so <laughs> we've all been there <laughs> so an ionic spark it looks I've had two today <laughs> it looks kind of like a crossbow doesn't it with like yeah. a, a static crossbow kind of thing and the idea is is that it um it blitzes out a, a fixed amount of damage every so often um, you can tell I really pay attention to the uh, <laughs> minutiae is, of things. Ionic Spark is the one that does 200 damage when any enemy casts a spell. Right, right. yes, that's that's a thing. I remember this. Um, but, like, it really shelves off, and your items, once they're combined, you're stuck with them for the rest of the 
<laughs> the the game and so i've been trying to like uh, i i was in this really bad habit of or not bad habit but i liked making them because <laughs> it was really fun early game to get that advantage yeah. and to you know to be able to deal a lot of damage in the moment but they shelve off so dramatically it's like oh. and and i think that's that's one of the things that i'm not sure how i feel about because you are playing the game better in accordance with especially with ranked you want to get higher up the ladder otherwise why are you playing um but it's this thing of but i then don't get the gratification of yeah. building an item i quite like i i have to play the meta and i have to sort of not tit about with all yordles all the time or like you know that build <laughs> or the build that i did which was all yordles except for carthus mm. and carthus is just there as like almost like this grumpy school teacher who's taken a bunch of idiots <laughs> out like and is absolutely regretting it as they tit about so like so you get multiples of the same hero in this yeah you can so as long as they haven't combined yeah Yordles, although Yordles are a type of hero. Not oh, I see. Sorry. Yeah, they're a race. Like a no, so basically. It, it it ups their mischance if you have, yeah. like, it, it, with three of them, you get an okay mischance to miss um, them with uh, a, an attack. And then with six of them, you, like, it really goes up. And so you- So they get worse be, the more of them you have? No, 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 as in people, like, they're oh, more they're, they're more people slippery. missing them. I see. Yeah. yeah. And so that was fun because mm. they just wouldn't get hit. And it was just, like, you'd sort of watch the end of one of these auto battles play out. And there was this person who had like loads of health and one of my tiny yordles would have absolutely nothing, but <laughs> all of their attacks would miss. And so it would just like, we'd spend about 10 seconds with like just this thing gradually like ticking down and then they'd die. And I'd be, like, <laughs> I don't feel, well, I do feel good about that, but you don't. <laughs> and I kind of know it. And I kind of know that was a bit of a shitty way to <laughs> win That's the thing, like, I mean, that, I think teamfight on like they're all like this a bit but teamfight particularly has really strong differential between what scales and what doesn't in terms of both items and allegiances and a lot of the strategy revolves mm. around that that's why they, I, I was, when we were playing loads of it a couple of weeks ago i was basically refusing to do anything other than all your doors mm. and that was partly because it was funny but it's also partly because it, and it was fun but also because evasion scales really well like mm. that you know because <laughs> people put loads of effort into their damage or hit on <laughs> now hit I'm missing more damage <laughs> and now it's uh, you have 60 percent mischance so yeah 60 effort is wasted um, i like stuff that does you know damage or whatever based on the percentage of the enemy's health and stuff because obviously that scales mm. and it's yeah you know but yeah whereas your flat damage items it's like you just kind of can't really build them in good conscience. It's kind of an interesting <laughs> thing though because like that's the thing is i think they kind of know that like they know that these are going to scale off so Properly that mm -hmm. you shouldn't build them so that makes them absolutely they've so to tune that they're absolutely devastating like if you get one mm -hmm. early like to, for clarity like so this item the ironic spark does 200 damage at, at the point where someone tries to cast a spell but in the first tier of characters most people only have about 400 health so and you build up your mana often by taking damage so often people are at lost half the health and then they cast a spell and they die <laughs> and so it can absolutely annihilate entire teams early on and i think it has to be like that because that's the only reason you buy it is to start winning early but it's an interesting trade-off because it feels quite abrupt you know when its usefulness ends basically i'm really bad at wasting all my money just sifting through the deck trying to find one more 
person to mm. upgrade like to the next tier it's oh. so do you pay to like get a new uh so, loadout in yeah, the shop kind of thing it gives you five new cards each time each with a picture of a champion on and you can spend the amount of money on the card to buy one of those champions yep. um but you can spend two gold to refresh that yeah. five and refresh that five and refresh that <laughs> five and so like i'll i do waste a lot of money i say i would say and i i don't do it stupidly like if i i will check through other people's builds and see oh if someone else is going really hard on that champion there probably won't be one um but i if they haven't and i'm just at the mercy of numbers i will try and mm. just absolutely push through which is i tend to have no money all the time <laughs> What do you want it to, Tom? I played a short hike, hmm. which um, is delightful. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> just absolutely lovely. I've been following this for ages. Um, it's by Adam Robinson Yu, um, who did, I think, everything except the music. Well, I can't remember the name of the guy who did the music. Um, and it's a um, third-person game from a quite a zoomed-out perspective. It reminds me of isometric games, but it isn't technically isometric. It's like fully 3D, but then it's rendered in a very low-res kind of filter. Um, mm. So it looks kind of retro. Um, and you're a bird climbing a mountain. <laughs> and On foot? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes climbing and sometimes flying or gliding. Um, and so it's very focused. It's probably about two hours long-ish. Um and you're ostensibly trying to get to the top of the mountain so that you get good cell reception because <laughs> you're waiting for a phone call. <laughs> and that's all that's said about that. And it's not mentioned again until you actually get to the peak. And then on your way up, you meet all these other characters who are sort of like, one's a fox and one's a crocodile and one's a dog um, and some are other birds. And they're all like off on their own quaint fun nice thing and you'll have a quaint fun nice conversation with them about it and during that it kind of your character sort of reveals that um uh that this is uh this park their aunt i think is the ranger there and lives on site and also that you've been meaning to do this hike for ages anyway so it's not purely for self-aware reception it's you know you are enjoying it as well and it's just the writing is is so good and uh, in a way that's you almost wouldn't expect it was possible for writing to be, you know, unusually good when the sentences, are, you know, the lines of dialogue are sort of five words long and there's mm. like seven of those to a conversation and that's it. Mm. Um, but, it, it, and it reminds me a lot of the, the conversations in like Zelda where everyone's right. just got, I've just got one thing about me and I'm going to say some cheerful stuff about it in a couple of lines and then you're done <laughs> and then you move on. I saw, um, um is it, uh, the, oh, Jeremy, um, games journalist. Peel. Peel? Yes. Um, <laughs> talking about it online in the same breath as, like, he, I think he was likening it to, like, A Night in the Woods and Donut County mm. and things like that. I like, like it that. more than both of those, actually. Um, it, it's more wholesome than those, I think. The both of those have, certainly Donut County has a real, like, edge to it. There's some nasty, <laughs> like, stuff in it. Um, this is, is so wholesome. And then there are some characters who are not completely wholesome, but even that, because the game is so challenging at that point and because I'm sort of uh, just pushing this mood of like really 
enjoying the experience and being conscious of enjoying the experience and wanting to meet everybody and talk to everybody and, and see what cool thing they have going on. That even when you meet your character who's kind of a dick, you're kind of intrigued about, why are you such a dick? This is really interesting. <laughs> I want to find out more about this. So there's a character who like, who just says, um, something to the effect of find me 15 shells, but in a better written way. Um, but with no, doesn't offer you any incentive to do so and you can kind of question them about like why and they won't give you any any reason and i actually i i met this character quite late and i've been picking up shells the whole time i actually thought i might have 15 shells so i talked to them again right after the conversation ended um sort of to see if i could turn them in and my character said um so i have 11 shells so far and uh they said oh cool so um i can ask you a quick question yeah sure uh is 11 more or less than 15 (laughs) it's less then why are you wasting my time (laughs) And you never really find out why that character is a dick, but, <laughs> but that that quest line is really satisfying anyway. Like it it wraps up in a way that's just um, I won't spoil it, but it just uh, was I don't know funny and cute and <laughs> really cool. And then someone else who's like scalping um, feathers. Like the upgrade system is also so for a focused, short, narrative-driven game, it has it's surprisingly two things are surprising. One is that the feel is really good for the movement. Like, walking around is just walking around, but then swimming feels really good in this game. Um, and gliding is wonderful, which is obviously one of the main things. Like, you're climbing, a mountain climbing game where you play a bird, you are frequently just throwing yourself off the mountain and then just gliding around. And you can do that for free for as long as you like, um, and sort of gently descend. But then, uh, initially, I think you can sort of flap once, or no, you can jump and then glide and that's it. Uh, then if you find a golden feather, then while gliding, you can flap again and get a bit of more altitude and then continue to glide. And then you just keep finding golden feathers. So those are the upgrade system. And you end up with sort of like 15 or 20. Um, so you can sort of basically fly, you know, you can flap 20 times. <laughs> um, and someone is scalping these. You can buy them at the visitor center for like 50 coins. And then there's someone who's selling them at the top of the mountain for a hundred coins. And so they seem like kind of a, a nasty character. And then, uh, you can ask them like, what's your deal? And they say, well, my tuition fees went up this semester, so I really need to make 400 to be able to pay for the next semester of college. And you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. I'll buy your overpriced feathers four times. Aww. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And actually it was, ends up the, um, story, your sort of main story is very, very minimal, but it was really moving in the end. Um, and it's also just like a lovely place to hang around. And, um, uh, that upgrade system, I was, uh, it worked really well and, uh, it was, uh, like any upgrade that gives you a permanent buff is always like, especially enticing in games. It's always really satisfying. Mm. Well, it was like the agility orbs and crackdown and, um, that kind of stuff. That's a, a very powerful, um, formula. And I found myself thinking at a certain point when I had sort of 12 or, or 13 of these, you need seven to get to the peak. Um, it sort of warns you before you get to the really hard part that, you know, you need at least seven feathers for this. And then once you get up there in the cold, um, usually because it's like a double jump kind of thing where you can use, if you have three feathers, you can do three jumps in the air and then you have to land and it recharges when you land. In the cold place, it doesn't recharge when you land because you've sort of frozen, you're losing um, some of your energy and you have to find some nice warm thermal springs to warm yourself back up. Um, and I had more than I needed and I actually found myself, I saw someone else struggling on the mountain and I really wanted to just like give them some of my feathers. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking like, wow, this is really, 
the game has really put me in a in a good mood because I'm willing to sacrifice. I would be willing to sacrifice some of my upgrade currency and just Aww. give it to another person just uh, just for fun. And at the time, I was thinking, oh, it's a real missed opportunity. You can't do that, and you can't do it then. But then later on, I met someone where you who's also stuck on the mountain, and you can just give them some of your feathers. It's really nice. It's, um, it's waiting for me on my PC at the moment. Actually, <laughs> I got sidetracked though because. Um, Motorway service station reviews. No, (laughs) this was after that. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I ended up uh, playing uh, today's bit of the upcoming game Stones of Solace, which is... Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, it's by uh, Delphine Forno. Is that how you say? Well, I don't Uh, know if that's the right person. (laughs) Who also made Sacramento, which is one of my favourite games of all time. It's kind of a a watercolour visit to an area around a train station, um, which is absolutely beautiful. Um, But this is every day you get a different um, idol, like a statue um, that is, I think they're animal themed, or it seems to be from what I've seen. And you you open the game and each day it shows you a different one I think um and you get to offer it a gift which is so I I spent my time today just um bringing up that menu and I like you you get different types of flowers or leaves and things that you can put out on this um circular shaped receptacle uh, I assume make a plate or something and so but each time you click to pick one up it's at a slightly different orientation so i spent a lot of time like picking up and dropping stuff that wasn't the orientation i wanted because i found that i really wanted to make a pleasing arrangement (laughs) or so and you can do that as many times as you want and i as far as i could tell the uh today was uh, a baby butterfly which was a caterpillar (laughs) and but the caterpillar was always charmed by my gift and i was like yes i needed that today thank you good you should be charmed <laughs> yeah exactly it's like you don't get that at a mur- mur- murder way a motorway service station <laughs> my reviews of murderway service stations are generally very poor <laughs> can't recommend it but yeah it's kind of i i went looking on my steam list for something in that general vein and like so i'll be interested to see how how much appeal it has on a day-to-day basis like whether it's Mm. something that i gravitate towards on certain days or whether it's a thing that i i feel compelled to come back to because today was the first time that i'd um opened it up to take a look but i think it very much it, it was it just happened to be higher up on the list of recent installations than a short hike and so i went with that instead but it it feels like it might occupy the same kind of generous kind of um uplifting kind of yeah beautiful yeah uh, delphine was working on that when uh, the game jam in bali that i went to Oh, okay. And I think it was uh, partly inspired by the prayer baskets that we saw um, that people would leave at, at shrines where they sort of um, make a little basket out of, I think, like banana leaves and then arrange flowers in them in a really mm. beautiful way. Yeah, like they were very, they were, they were definitely flowers that I associate with like, um, they were like hibiscus and like palm fronds and things like that. So I'll be interested to see, I think in some of the screenshots I saw the, the flowers seem to change as well. So I don't know whether that would be like in accordance with the, the different statue that you have mm. each day, but yeah. So I'm kind of interested to see how that unfolds or opens up over the year or if it does. Have you tried, like, intentionally making a really bad one and seeing <laughs> how rude they get? So I genuinely don't, 
like I it didn't occur to me until <laughs> I'd shut the game down and then I was like I could have and then I was like I didn't want the caterpillar to be sad for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would be, you'd be doing it through like squinting eyes like oh no I don't want to do this but <laughs> like I would probably ask a friend to tell me like if they got a bad review from the caterpillar or something or like maybe maybe if it was an animal I didn't care for or like its attitude or something <laughs> or if it seemed smug which, which animals do you not care for human um, <laughs> god think... that'd be really weird if it's just like just a dude named steve <laughs> yeah he can go <laughs> it's like he'll get what half a leaf you have failed to charm steve <laughs> i was like do you know what steve i'm all right with that that was on purpose <laughs> i don't know maybe a dog i'm what? a cat person hmm. <laughs> you know this i do know this I think I'm too... Don't agree with it, but... I'm too curious about any game that... Um, where the computer has to judge your your creative work. And it's obviously just an inherently fascinating topic. And mm. I always want to know, how do they do this? Like, And it's there's a whole spectrum from, like, um, uh, you know, it doesn't judge it at all. Or it judges it in some very superficial mm. way. And unless you do something really weird and crazy, it's it's fine. Um, maybe it's to... just like really grateful that you gave it anything you know maybe the <laughs> yeah. caterpillar's just like oh that's brilliant thank you no one's come over in a while <laughs> like it's a preview like build so like no one will have <laughs> fed it today or something <laughs> um there's a forthcoming game that i don't think it has a, a a final title yet but the working title is draw dog uh which is by the developers of uh wonder song mm. the game where you sort of like move the cursor in different directions to sing different tunes to solve problems. Yeah, you're a bard, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. I've seen this, I think. And Draw Dog is, is you're a dog in a kind of black and white world, but you get to paint the world, basically. You, you have this paintbrush and you can change colors and you, people ask you, to, like, can you give my house some color and you paint it? Oh, and, that's so cute. Um, yeah, that sprung to mind because I, I was speaking to the developer and he's saying that, uh, you know, the problem is currently struggling with is writing the algorithm that judges, did you paint their house nicely or oh, <laughs> poorly? God, yeah. Cause like, I remember I, cause De Blob sort of tried something like that or not tried an aesthetic judgment, but you had to cover a certain proportion of the world with color and, you know, maybe within a certain time limit or whatever. And I just like, I kind of, I loved the idea and hated the implementation. <laughs> so. And like, cause unfinished swan was just about like finding a way around, right? Yeah. Wasn't it? It wasn't, there wasn't a judgment system in that. I don't think. I don't, I didn't play the it. The swan isn't ready. Don't <laughs> review it yet. <laughs> Early access swan. <laughs> um, there's a game, uh, I haven't played. Swan as service. Uh, <laughs> past Patu, uh, the artist oh, yeah. game. I can't remember what, it's got some kind of subtitle, but I can't remember mm. what it is. But Chris Livingston played that, um, uh, and wrote about it for PC Gamer. And in his playthrough, there was one guy who would just always love his paintings of trees. Um, and no matter what it, like how he drew it. And so he got increasingly sort of, um, what's the word? Avant-garde mm. interpretations of a tree. So just like a completely brown canvas and it'd be like tree close up. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, but he always seemed to love it. Oh. I wonder if he was putting the word tree in the title of these yeah, paintings. I was gonna <laughs> say, like lots of trees. <laughs> But you can, I mean, the fun thing is uh, in that game anyway, because you have, the, it's various people walking past and, and seeing if they like your art. And so you could basically do every solution to this problem. Like you can have one person who's just judging by the title, one person who only likes a certain color and is just doing it like that. One mm. person who likes a sort of nice balance of different, um, uh, colors and shapes and stuff. 
and then you kind of can't complain as the player that mm. it's irrational and, and hard to predict because that's art. <laughs> <laughs> I think, so I'm interested in like seeing whether anyone's written anything about how the Happy Home Academy judging works in Animal Crossing Pocket Camp <laughs> because mm. You can take these little classes where essentially you earn medals and once you earn enough medals, you level up and you get little leaf ticket presents and things like that. So it's it's just about a little hit of progress or a reason for you to own some of this nonsense because you can then lay it down in a room and then, you know, a, what's it called? An otter will just sort of say, well done. Um, but, <laughs> That's the ultimate dream. <laughs> I know, right? But the thing is, like in the current, in, in Pocket Camp, it's for, because in the previous ones, it was like, it, there was a, a lot of maths that underpinned it. Like if you had like items from particular sets and if you had a full set and if, you know, if you put particular things in different sort of feng shui arrangements in the room and you'd get, you know, extra money or special items blah 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 um but in this i'm not really sure because it it pretends it has a panel of four judges and you can see four maybe three each of them is represented on this little thermometer uh, of a score you know and you see them gradually add to it and you see which percentage of the bar each of them contributed and like and I'm always curious because some give a lot less than others, but hmm. I don't know why or who, like, or... It's just edge. <laughs> but I don't know whether it's just that the game knows what your score should be of the final total. Like, basically, you got a certain amount of items perfect, and then some of them will just be, oh, that's kind of in the same theme, and it will have some way of, like, you know, adding up the numbers of that, I'm sure. But... I want to know how it divides that score between the different participants. Like, why did Isabel give me this percentage of that score? And it might just be that it's completely arbitrary and it just goes, well, one of them will have given you a third of it. One of you, them will have given you less one of, you know, that kind of thing. But I would be interested to know if any of the animals have anything that they're actually looking for, like that mm. their little programming is scanning for. That would be interesting. There is a um, a game about, uh, and I don't know if I'm going to say this word right, but Zen Coens, Coen, K O A N. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you know yeah, how yeah. to pronounce that? I don't. I've always just said Cone, but I might be wrong. It's and the game is is one of you is um, is the master, and you, uh, I think you put you build these little sort of. Uh, assemblies of, of shapes, of uh, colored shapes, um, with various numbers of, of faces and sides and stuff. Um, and then you present them to your students and you say, maybe it's just one. And you say, this one has the Buddha quality and they have to make a something and that shares that quality. Huh. And they present it to you and you just, all you can say to them is whether or not it has the Buddha quality. And the Buddha quality is something you're thinking of that is true for your shape that, that may be true or not true for them. Okay. And your students huh. are all trying to guess what the rule is, but I think not try and led on to the to the other students that what the rule is um and that would be an interesting thing for like ai judging art if you have mm. multiple ai judges they could present to you here are my three favorite paintings see if you can like abstract out what what it is i'm responding to about these like i like these three and i hate these three there's a uh tabletop game called a fake artist goes to new york i think and basically 
have I told you about this before? I think so. If memory serves, um, all of you except one know the subject of the thing that you're drawing, and a piece of paper goes around the table and each of you adds one line and the idea is for the others to work out who the fake artist is um by who seems to be adding the wrong kind of line so if it's if if you are the one that doesn't know what it is you're trying to figure out either what the thing is so you can start drawing good lines or draw non-committal lines that maybe look like you're trying not to let on to the to the fake artist what the object is and so that's kind of interesting because that's about like at what point does the the object or the the idea become clear in the thing in the ex- mm. in the um lines that you've got on the page do you have much experience of um player judged creative competition in games no i guess i mean only in the, like the meta sense of like making levels for something and having people judge those like, i just thought it might be i was going to ask if there's a broader example because the only example i can give is from the company I work for. Um, so th- with that disclaimer, because I, I work for Hypixel Studios, which is a sister company of Hypixel, which is the biggest uh, Minecraft minigame server. And one of the most popular modes on that is build battle, where there's a theme and players uh, have a time limit to create a build, um, you know, using the kind of creative tools that reflects the theme. And then everyone teleports into each other's chambers and votes on which one they think is the best. And that's, <laughs> that's the game. Nice. Hmm. So it does, you know, that, and that, you know, um, <clears throat> That does function. You know, people do seem to, to vote and, and play in the spirit of, of the thing. Yeah. Cause that's, that's common in board games, but not so much in, in digital games, is it? Like there's loads of board games where like there is no algorithmic way to judge who was best. And so you just have the other players vote and like, oh yeah, your explanation was best or, uh, that, um, we did it with Champion the animal of the one. Wild. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very much that. Uh, and video games don't usually do it. I guess they're, they're probably scared. Like if you're playing with total strangers, they assume that people are just going to be dicks. But most of those games are designed so that you can't really be that much of a dick. You could, yeah. You, I guess you give everyone, I think you, most of them, you have to pick a winner and it can't be yourself. And so you'll pick someone. Yeah. yeah. I assume it's, it's like a numbers thing as well, though, because it's, you know, if the game wasn't hugely popular or if the player base started to yeah, drop off or mm. was in different time zones, then you wouldn't be able to get the results of the thing. And that would be rather a (laughs) i guess a stumbling block but i think um for for stuff that's big like hypixel or for stuff that's um like because google occasionally put out things like that don't they to teach their machine learning stuff um Mm. how to read images and things so there was that thing quite recently i think where the idea was for you to draw something and that, that google would say what it was or the the algorithm oh, yeah, would yeah. tell you what it was and the i you know like i i can't remember exactly what the game was or whether it was just a kind of you know does the like thing recognize kind of thing. what you're doing but it was definitely it, it was giving it more than enough information to actually learn something about basic depiction or about you know <laughs> how how humans boil particular concepts down to a a few lines which was kind of interesting i wonder what they've done with that probably figured out how to scan my face or something (laughs) (sighs) you could probably make a good art judging algorithm well i say good uh by (laughs) uh 
it like Google image reverse search the thing the user drew and then from those results look at the first hundred thousand and see how many of them are mentioned an actual artist who has a Wikipedia page <laughs> and then <laughs> judge those artists by like notoriety from their own search results and then the more like a more famous artist you, your thing looks the, the more points you get <laughs> oh good god that sounds horrendous <laughs> that sounds like the surefire way to only end up with cack <laughs> 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 or like lay, lame copies of just very famous yeah populist yeah sunflowers over and over again you just end up that with tea like towels a... with water lilies on them won't you <laughs> <laughs> that is more or less how content on the internet sort of propagates mm-hmm. yeah don't put google in charge of that <laughs> um, I can talk about algorithms trying to solve problems and sort of failing if, <laughs> yeah. if you're willing to segue off this topic um, so uh, as we were approaching obviously we recorded the podcast a little bit late this week and um, and one of the reasons for that is that uh, I have mostly just been playing Fire Emblem when I've been playing games this week. And so I didn't want to talk about that again. So I was looking for something. Uh, today, I was genuinely looking for something new. Just, you know, find a game, something interesting to talk about. Did you turn to the Steam algorithm? I did. Well, no, I mean, because we <laughs> oh. talked about it last time. Well, this one we want to talk about. Because the last time we were, you were on the pod pit, we talked about, I think, or maybe the time before that, we talked about the uh, mm. Steam Labs stuff as it was announced. And, um, and then I promptly forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so we talked about the interactive recommender. We've gone through all of this, right? The interactive recommender, recommender is the system that has two sliders, one for, uh, age of game and one for sort of popularity versus sort of cult. Age of game Niche. could definitely be a game. <laughs> age of game. <laughs> Sounds like a game. Niche-ness. Popul- Nicheness. Yeah. Niche-ness. And it's nicheness and based on your, your history. And you can tweak these sliders. So, um, I, I was sort of operating in the niche and new kind of side of things because that seemed to be the thing that would uh, provide um, something I'd be interested in talking about on this podcast. And what's kind of interesting about this process is um, previously when I was sort of tinkering with it, it was interesting to see what the recommendations were. Trying to use it for its intended purpose has been a bit of an adventure. And there's a bunch of reasons why it's not quite worked for me. And it kind of has in the end, but I had to kind of tell it what to tell me, which is not <laughs> the point of a recommender. Yeah. Um, and so some of the problems with it, I think are very specific or not specific to me, but limited to a smaller set of people. So for example, um, if you have, if you work on a game and that game is live and on steam, (laughs) so you're not running it in your dev environment, you're running the steam client. That's going to fuck up your algorithm forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I work on HackMud, and HackMud is, I run the game client from Steam. So that means that it accounts for a lot of my um, playtime on Steam. And I got to the point where regardless of where I set my kind of, uh, you know, I found that the sweet spot for the sliders was pretty much sort of new to six months to a year old and two thirds niche to fully niche, but fully (laughs) niche, but you needed to give it a little bit of room or else it didn't throw up some things that were actually interesting. And then I had to make extensive use of the blocking specific tags. So I had to block. Can't, I thought you could actually block a game now. Like, can't you eliminate a game from you your, can, from the algorithm? I mean, yeah, not that I, I can you see. Could. You can block a tag, but I can't, it's not, it doesn't seem to be an easy way to block a game. I swear I thought I saw someone tweeting about that. It, hmm. I'll not, have to look it up because it, it click, might help you in maybe this you moment. Maybe click it on the side. Basically what I did mm. is then I so went through and I blocked programming and hacking games <laughs> because um, there was so many I'm of sick them. of that shit. It was, it was <laughs> just loads of them as well. Like there were way more of those games than I thought there were. Um, there's this, all of the electronics sort of games and yeah. all of their children basically. Um, and 
um then other issues arose like i uh we at one point borrowed a vive right yeah which was set up on my pc <laughs> so at some point steam knows i had a vive plugged in what it doesn't yeah. know is i don't have one anymore right however that means that it's going to throw vr stuff right to the top of the list because a lot of vr games are quite niche because yeah. they're vr games mm. so my take out the hacking games and it's just a flood of vr games so i had to then block the vr tag as well uh, and then i also blo- blocked the early access tag because mm. i don't know early access games because that was then a flood of mm. games that were extremely raw that i might be interested in eventually but yeah. so that's four tags blocked at that point i found that it got super i don't know why but what i was kind of in the mood for was something kind of either turn-based or strategy-ish or kind of um card based like something a little bit more sedate but all it wanted me to play at this point were retro first person shooters the kind of things <laughs> tom senior were talking about in the last one and twin stick shooters yeah. like and bullet hell games like mm. all variants on arcade shooters like just wall to wall some of them were roguelike some of them weren't but other than that just all that and i'm not sure exactly why that is it might be because i reviewed so many of them PC I was going to say, hmm. probably like all of the million hours of like Super Hexagon and all of your Ikaruga yeah. kind of Yeah, probably, but still. Shenanigans. So then I had to kind of like try and block shooters. Oh, and this is what I, what I mean by having to basically tell it what to tell me. Like I blocked so much in order to get to a point where I was seeing things that I was interested in. It somewhat defeated the point. <laughs> However, this was sort of ultimately a more gratifying way of leafing through menus than menus are mm. because mm. it was sort of random every time what I was going to get. Um, it's annoying when you click through to a game and then click back, it clears all your filters. So I had to yeah. reconstruct all the filters every time, oh, particularly man. as the list got longer for like what I didn't want to see. Could you not tab like as not, in click tab? Not in the steam client. Um, so, um, so with that as a caveat, so that was sort of how to me that like there's uh, obviously there are things that are specific to, to my situation of people working games. Um, but I think also there's a bit of a problem with like, it's quite good at recommending things that are like things you've played, mm. but often, and I don't think I'd be alone in saying I quite want things that I like, but haven't played. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So like I've played a lot of very good twin stick shooter roguelikes from, you know, or, or similar. So risk of rain or teleglitch or any of those games, just cause I've played lots of them doesn't mean that the next indie game I buy on steam will be one of them. Well, I think this is the problem with the... Or my problem with the algorithm system that Tom is recommending. I was kind of like, no, it will funnel everything down the same pathway. <laughs> like it, well, my uh, art just, judging one. Yeah, it's <laughs> just Picasso all the way down. Oh, God. Um, but I think um, something that I was actually thinking about off the back of... Um, did you see there was a tweet that did the rounds where somebody who worked over at Netflix was saying... You know, um, I, I think there were complaints in the wake of the cancellation of what's the to uh, Tuka and Bertie. To, yeah, um, and you know this this sense of like y- y- not being told about things. Like, mm. what does that mean? And I started watching Tuka and Bertie because everyone was so upset about being cancelled. Yeah, like because <laughs> I had before. never seen anything about it until yeah. the internet was. I- I think I had at the okay. time. I was like, "What is this show?" Everyone's suddenly talking about. And yeah. when I watched it, and then after I watched it, I thought, "Oh wait, someone did mention this to me like um, <laughs> six months ago," and I ignored them. <laughs> okay, but I think um, off the back of that chat, someone from Netflix tweeted about, you know, what what would help people? What does it mean when you say you want to be able to discover or be told, or mm. you know that that kind of thing? I can't remember the exact wording, and I actually replied with a kind of. 
Netflix doesn't seem to know what to do with me. It keeps trying to just recommend me either the same things over and over yep, or things that. within the same niche. And like, I, I, I have no interest in them, so I don't click on them. So it doesn't seem to think, oh, I'll show you something different. It just keeps showing me those things until I interact yeah. with them or until I search for something. And so my suggestion was I want Take the a option. Hint. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone replied to m- my response with, with that. Like they want an option to just say, I will never watch this. Please yes, stop showing it I to me. But my thing that I want is show me 10 random things. Just yeah. show me something because there is so much. It's like, we've got hundreds of thousands of shows on this service. And I'm like, you show me three of them. Yeah. And they're all Netflix originals and I don't care. And then you show me things I've seen before and you say, do you want to watch them again? It's like, probably if that's my choice, <laughs> if those are all of my options, I'd actually, I guess. I always find that like the, if I go, just go to Netflix, this shows me, you know, 50, things 35 of which it showed me every day for the last yeah. 10 years yeah I, i'm still never more interested in watching them and then if i sometimes i'll i think that something might be on netflix and i go to search for it and as you search it does that auto yeah. thing and i type the letter o and it shows me like 10 movies i really want to see that i had no idea were on netflix like what <laughs> yeah. the hell i didn't know these were here or, and try auto- om and suddenly oh my god like five more that i'm really interested <laughs> in and like try b <laughs> so that's how i find things on netflix oh, now. i really? just type a random character into the search oh, <laughs> God. Suddenly I get like all the stuff I actually want to watch. <laughs> I want I want the option with any of these services to ask them like what do you think I'll hate? Like show me <laughs> yeah. show me the opposite of me. Like and they might be I wouldn't do it on Steam because you're going to get some grim stuff down at the bottom of that well. <laughs> but like but yeah, I, I think also in Netflix's defense in our particular case, there is no way any algorithm could reconcile the fact that we share an account. <laughs> no, but you don't share my account. <laughs> Oh, we do on, yeah, so we do on the main TV, but not. Yeah, on the main TV, that's what yours is hooked up to, but mine is just mine. Yeah. And like, it hasn't learned that I just don't want any of the things that I haven't clicked on. And so that means that I keep clicking on the same things. And then it's like, oh, well, she clearly just wants to watch the same things. And it's this weird self-perpetuating yeah. problem where I'm just like, show me a way out. <laughs> like, yeah. please show me a way out because I want to actually see different things. But all you want to do is show me bullshit, really. And the other thing is like, because I find it really annoying when I type something, I can't remember if this is Netflix or whether this is um, like, uh, oh, what's it called? Now TV or something. But you know, when you, when you type the name of a thing and it auto completes it as if it has it. And then it's like, (laughs) we don't have that. However, here are some similar things. And you're like, do you know what? Do you know what you can do with it? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I think I would really like it if Steam had the option to, you know, just show, like to sort of shake you out of that. Yeah. Or like just say, you know. I think, um, I think I mentioned this before, but I am a little bit sad that I've broken Spotify's always accent algorithm because mm. I use it for other things because I use it to soundtrack role playing games <laughs> for my, with my friends and I use it for, you know, other purposes. It's just, it's, it's fucked it like mm. completely. Oh, Spotify will varies a lot week to week. I just I have some weeks where I'm just like the Discover Weekly is really good and well, really good for me is like two out of every ten tracks are good. Yeah, but it's <laughs> uh, good. Which is yeah, that's great because it's giving me like forty of them and I'm, I'll get into like eight new things. Um, and then other weeks it's like every single thing is like I have to skip it. I can't even get make it through the track. <laughs> like, don't play anything like this ever again. Yeah. So my current problem with Spotify is that I only use it for podcasts. From the second podcast hmm. got added, 
podcasts were what I use it for and listening to Metallica on deadline. And I no longer <laughs> do that. So, um, so is your discover weekly just podcast now? <laughs> well, this is the thing. It doesn't like the, the only way that you can access podcasts is either it recommends them or you search for them or you go to the browse tab and then select podcasts and stuff. <laughs> like it doesn't have as far as I know, it doesn't have podcast playlist. It doesn't have discover for podcasts. It doesn't have, you know, that would like be I, hard to do. No, I don't think it would. I think that if you listen to, for example, a lot of, you know, comedy so themed stuff, matter. you could just say, yeah. well, here's, here's five comedy podcasts. Give them a go, you know, by different, or like if, if you yeah, really like you one you particular publisher, it it's like, here are some of their other stuff. You I think, know? I think it would just be because it would work the, a very different way to the way the rest of Spotify algorithm works. So I can understand that there would have to be I new think technology. So, for that. But I, I, it's something that I'm feeling the absence of. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing I desperately want with podcasts is, uh, I'm very often in a situation where I just played a, a game like Outer Wilds and I just want to hear like, anyone talking about Outer Worlds. I don't care who the hell it is, even though I don't really we like will them. We'll do an Outer Worlds podcast eventually, Tom. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow, wait a hint. <laughs> but uh, you can't, like, you know, we tag our, our, at least our blog posts with all the names of the games that we mm-hmm. talk about, but I, I don't think, like, you know, iTunes or Pocket Cast has a way of searching uh, that kind of thing. And I wish the podcast, like, infrastructure was set up for that so I could just see, like, who is talking about The Outer Worlds? And I'll listen to, mm. if there are 10 podcasts talking about it, I will listen to te- yeah, right. Right, those episodes of 10 different yeah. podcasts. And I'm sure, like, three of those would be podcasts I then listen to from then on. It's weird because Pocket Casts, like, especially Pocket Cast Discover section, that can trick you into thinking there's only, like, 40 podcasts <laughs> in the entire universe and most of them are about true crime. And yep. it's like... Do you know what? No. And, but sometimes I'll put in a search term that I know is for a podcast that I've heard about and it still doesn't reliably find it. <laughs> it's like, no, I've never heard of that. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So, um, I just wanted to, to, to pull things back. I did actually find a game. At oh. The end. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <Before we got laughs> say, like, <laughs> I thought that was the game. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I was, I, uh, so, um, uh, I actually found two. I want to return to one of them probably next week. So one of them is super interesting. So that was, I wanted to put that as a caveat before we got into the problems of algorithms generally. Mm-hmm. Like I did through this method eventually find something that I didn't know about and I actually quite like. And it, I, it seems like when I, as soon as I saw it for four quid and bought it, this is Islanders. I saw that oh, yeah. actually a lot of my friends have played it. I've played that. Yeah. Which was <laughs> I have heard kind, of this. kind of nice in that I genuinely had missed it for whatever reason. Um, and so I've been playing a little bit of this today and it did in the end tick all of the boxes, but that's sort of not the algorithms doing because I knew what I was looking for and I just tweaked things and banned <laughs> things until it th- showed me things like this. If you had emailed Tom and said, I'm in the mood to play something, what should I play? Would you have recommended Islanders? Like what? No, probably not. <laughs> I kind of forgotten about it, to be honest. <laughs> you would have had to like, I would have suggested like 93 things and you have to ban each of them. And yeah, no, like, okay, no. Islanders. <laughs> yeah, have you case. played a twin stick shooter? <laughs> Another so, one? Um, I'd just be like, who played Heat Signature? <laughs> who played I did. It was trying to get me to play Morph Blade, Tom. <laughs> but I'm not giving you four pounds. It's doing God's work. <laughs> play Floating Point. Um, yeah, I didn't, yeah. Um, uh, but no, so Island is actually really nice. And um, so, uh, and I haven't played tons of it yet, so it's not going to be an extensive review or anything. But uh, for four pounds, a lovely thing. So basically, it's a uh, very kind of uh, lightweight uh, city building resource sort of resource management in the sense of sort of planning game basically and uh the way it works is this you get a um looks lovely sort of um 
a nice uh sort of textureless voxely atmospheric um graphics looks for a game that's procedurally generated has a little bit of a sort of monument valley sort of vibe to it and you have a little procedurally generated island with your little chunky kind of um plateaus and beaches and, and things like that and trees and rocks and monolith monoliths occasionally um and you uh the, the job is to build a, a little functioning settlement and you do this by um there's no uh resources really just points um but you get like an inventory of stuff and so and you pick a, you, you always have like a binary choice of a basically a bag of buildings and so you'll pick um farming or uh lumber or something like that or brewing or shamans or town planning or whatever and you pick one of these choices and um you get a big pile of buildings in your inventory to then place and a lot of them have sort of adjacency rules and things like that so you and obviously they take up a certain amount of space but they're all placed in sort of 3d sort of fairly uh analog kind of way so you can rotate them and try and get them to fit and try and get overlapping areas of of benefit and 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 so on um every time you do this you gain points and certain things like redundant mills and that kind of thing um which i think is a is a blake thing um um uh you know might cost you some points so it might reduce the efficiency of something so it's about creating these sort of overlapping circles to get you maximum points out of the thing you're building it's like team fight tactics (laughs) uh, imagine a slow combat free team fight tactics within the confines of a limited and randomly generated environment so you're not always going to have ideal ways of laying everything out Mm. and um when you do this you fill up a bar and the bar needs more points every time it levels up we basically level up every time you level up you get access to a new bag of things and you're also uh filling up points towards getting access to a new island and then um you when you get access to that new island you can either click to go there immediately or you can uh keep trying to earn points in the island that you're on um if you go if you can go to a new island then eventually you'll you'll run out of things to do and you go to, you go to a new generated island and start again and the uh, game ends when you fail to generate enough points from a single new set of buildings to level up. So you always have to level up with what you're given and you always have to be setting yourself up to level up. And then when you fail that you get a high score based on how many islands you managed to build up and, and how far you managed to get. And then you're back to the start. And it's actually really nice. It's sort of like a fast sort of, it'd be wrong to call it kind of arcadey, but it's probably as arcadey as you can make something with SimCity's kind of fundamental logic or that kind of, or populous maybe is a better example. Um, it's quite fun. It's just nice to sort of um, tinker with the layout. I will say this, seaweed farms, they're a fucking trap. <laughs> they're a fucking trap. If you get given a seaweed farm as your first choice of two in a new island, just say no. It's not worth it. I've never even had that option. Would you say seaweed farms are the ionic spark of the <laughs> island as well? No, they're the opposite because ionic spark will win you a lot of early game victories, uh, right. whereas uh, this is uh, this will cost you the entire run. And the reason for this <laughs> is... Does it not come into its own later? Is it not OP in the late game? They are all right in the late game. And what, what they've done to balance seaweed farms is... So landscapes aren't always going to be favourable to different kinds of buildings, right? Like if you have lots of flat areas, then farms and towns are good. If you have... You know, other things are more efficient with a smaller number of pieces. So sort of isolated rocky plateaus and things can work in that environment. Uh, seaweed farms are, their main strength is it's an island. You're always going to have the sea. Mm. <laughs> so you're going to have a lot of coast, right? You're never going to have more of anything than you have coast, basically. Um, so because of this, 
so almost everything gains well some things need to not be near things of their like but like farms normal farms for example every field you place gains a bonus from being near another field so that's obviously going to encourage you to lay out your fields in kind of closely packed rows so and then they can they can sit next to each other and benefit you put a mill nearby you're off to the races your first seaweed farm is minus one point (laughs) um they they lose you points to place them but they gain uh, quite a lot from adjacency with each other right and then from uh the seaweed farm building the main one that you kind of put on the coast dangling over the seaborne seaweed farms what this means is um if you only have them they get you about 18 points and the first point threshold on a new island is always 20 so they will literally just lose you the game then and there you literally <laughs> can't get enough points out of them i believe to to win so them offering them to you seems like a trap if you've played islanders and you understand that they're not a trap and i'm bad at this let me know but um yeah you're literally so, asking for it now you're gonna get seaweed yeah. farm well actually <laughs> it's fine if honestly just um bring me your your waterborne pet <laughs> a kelp desk <laughs> oh, hey. i was trying to think of a kelp bun and i didn't get make it <laughs> uh but yeah you said you'd played it tom yeah um i i was uh i enjoyed it and i the sort of the run aspect of it like you build an island and then you can move on to the next one that part didn't i remember just sort of stopping i was just like okay like i don't want to <laughs> carry on with, with this version i can't remember how it works like once you've you have an island and you build some stuff on it once you've built a bunch of really nice stuff and you've laid it out in a sort of pleasing way but there is a way you could milk more points out of this island by just placing a bunch of shit in all the gaps and messing it up mm. does it incentivize you to do that or is it or not. I think it can help you get closer to a point threshold for the next island. Mm. Um, I have this dim memory of sort of like having this thing where I'm like, this is nice, but the mechanics are pushing me to fuck it up now. Like the mechanics are pushing me to just milk everything I can. Yeah, that might be the case. I haven't played enough of it to kind of do well. That's also, what the Happy Home Academy used to do. It's like, have you got a full set of this? And it's like, well, it's shit. I don't want it. <laughs> but I mean, I want my otter bonus. Like, so <laughs> here we go. <laughs> There was also, uh, uh, had a weird situation because, uh, the shaman's hut, uh, shaman seems to love being really far away from everyone. And I think near certain natural features, mm. uh, like maybe a plateau or, a, or something, uh, that was nowhere near my cities. And so I put the shaman miles from anywhere. And then I, I built this quite, uh, popular city, loads of little houses and, um, and farms and stuff all on my lowland. And then up on my highland was this one shaman hut. And then when I came to build like some of the more luxurious mansions, the build requirements for them were all were basically the same as a shaman. Like they didn't need to be near city centers or anything. And they wanted to be near these luxury resources. And I think they even want to be near shaman houses. Like they have a bonus from being near shaman houses. So the shaman district got gentrified. <laughs> like there's just like, one shaman hut and then mansions surrounding it. Where, oh, like, I have to imagine all these like super rich people are just like, Hey shaman, Hey shaman, what's up today? You know <laughs> Tell- what? This is goop. This is, <laughs> this is a game of goop. <laughs> That's where Gwyneth Paltrow lives. Yeah, exactly. And now the, the rich people just come flocking. It was just in the newsletter one day, and then now they're there. They're having steams. They're just—it's oh—it's too much. Oh. I was curious. It seemed to. Um, uh, it seemed like there was some asymmetry to some of these adjacency things. So, like when you uh, place. So I don't think this is the actual rule, but let's say that uh, a shaman hut doesn't want to be near any houses, but a mansion does want to be near a shaman hut. After the shaman hut is down, 
I don't think you can like lose any points no, on the shaman lose. map, right? It's always when so you place. Right. Oh, okay. So, so there's the some weird shaman. sort of like order of operations thing going on yeah. there where you, if you do it in the right order, it doesn't matter that these two things are close. Yeah, that's the thing is it, it, it's quite toy-like. I quite like it for that reason. Like it's got very nice sound effects and when you gain points, it's got this nice sort of like bibbity blobbity kind of <laughs> point funnel. Blibbity, blobbity, it's got a good blibbity blobbity points funnel. Yep. That's all I need. And Tom knows exactly what I mean. Because <laughs> it <fair>. does. <laughs> um... And so it is, it is like, it feels, it's got more game to it than some things like this, which are just about, um, but it does have that sort of Zen toy kind of feel to mm. it where you're just placing things and gaining the bonuses. And, and it's like, it's not particularly, I think one of the only things I don't like about it is it is treated like a bad thing when a run ends because you have failed and it mm. does a kind of like, wah, wah kind of There's- noise. But it doesn't feel like a mistake. It just feels like, well, I guess it was time for my civilization to fail <laughs> back in the ocean. This is something I like about Evergarden, um, mm. which is this uh, hex grid uh, puzzle game about planting plants and about using them to sort of seed other plants. Um, and it's, your run is always going to end at some point, and when it ends, that's when it sort of all your all the things you have built count as points. Mm. And so it pretty much always feels like just a a different kind of victory. It's not really like oh. I died. It's and now here is the actual endpoint of my garden. It's full. I can't build anything more. Um, yeah. And now I get the points for all that stuff. And so it's, it does a good job of like making the ending positive. Oh, it feels cool. like this could have done that as well. Mm. But I like. I do like it, and I, I will play a little bit more of it. And I may even just leave it running to make <laughs> the algorithm easier to deal with in the future. <laughs> I think I, I might buy it as well, so it can mess with my recommendations. <laughs> totally good for four four pounds for mm. spondulies. I wonder if they'd let you, like, um, cause if you play in the off Steam, obviously that's not gonna count. And so if there's like, if there's a genre of game that you tend to buy on itch instead of Steam. Well, that's the thing. It's gonna it's, skew your. It can only tell you about stuff that's on Steam. So it's kind of like, for me, that's like, well, I mean, you then can't take into account anything I do in the League of Legends client. You yeah. have no sense of what I'm doing over in Epic, which is mostly, I will admit, below zero, Subnautica. <laughs> um, and like, you know, even just like, I, w- I wonder if things like the Ubisoft client or whatever can, you know, like, I, I wonder if at any point it will try and figure out API stuff, you know, like whether there will be some mm. kind of, oh, if you plug this thing in or if you log in using whatever, then, you know, there can be some kind of reciprocal, like, thing. Because I wonder whether at some point it would be in Ubisoft's interest to have (laughs) Steam be like, have you tried Rainbow Six? And (laughs) Steam loves data. So, like, there's a kind of... To be fair, that's the number one game Steam wants me to play. (laughs) Oh, you know what I mean, though. Like, stuff that isn't on there. Like, Mm. I don't know. Starcraft. <laughs> Unravel. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Probably is. Yeah. Um, GOG Galaxy 2 is this like all in one thing, right? Where it can, it can run your Steam games and it can run your, uh, mm. Blizzard games and everything and it can track that stuff. So in theory, they could have the best data set in terms of, uh, reach. I remember when this, the interactive recommender came out, um, a lot of people were saying, wow, this is really good because it's recommending me all stuff I already own on console, <laughs> which is like, okay, I'm not going to buy it. But on the other hand, well done, because that is something I genuinely like. 
I think I would always come down on the side of I would prefer that it doesn't know what happens elsewhere in my life. <laughs> like, cool, yeah. it's recommended me something that it it can't have worked out. I already own somewhere. So one of my you know buffers, my tech buffers, is working. It's like it can't listen to me. <laughs> can't like get into my mind somehow. <laughs> at the Yet. Moment. I know. I'm fighting such a losing battle. Should we do questions? Yeah. Um, and I wanted to give a, a shout out as we do, uh, to everybody, uh, Ryan and who was the other one? Ryan and Julius, who both, uh, emailed in, uh, to correct the correction of the <laughs> pronunciation of the game. Tohu, Tohu, Tohu. Um, the reason I don't know is because, um, both of these, uh, correspondents sent us emails uh with uh links to videos where this game word is correctly pronounced however while that's a reasonable thing to do the flaw with this is at the part of this process where we check the questions uh we're actually we've already got our recording equipment plugged in and while our recording equipment is plugged in i can't output any audio from my pc except via the um Except via the, well, I can't basically because the, the amp is on. Um, and so also that, we can't have our phones on because otherwise it makes that like interference noise. So, um, and either way the, the emails will be in that direction. So, uh, so for that reason, we haven't been able to listen to them. So it will remain a mystery. And this may be a way of curtailing the, um, the last, last week we talked about how to guarantee information on the internet is to just be wrong and then, and wait for the correction to arrive. I think the way to, um, then, uh, uh, curtail any subsequent interaction is to simply not hear it <laughs> and be confused. We, I'm sure that there is a correct pronunciation out there somewhere and we can find out after this episode is recorded, but that's too late for the people listening to this who are no doubt already halfway through an email about how I've just pronounced it wrong like three different times. <laughs> just assume we know now. <laughs> we probably know now. Thank you for letting us know. Our first um, email really, because it's more of a, 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 a perspective, I guess, than a, than a question. Um, comes from uh, a Nona man who writes, Hello, your podding keeps me sane. Thank you kindly. I'm an actor and I've worked as a mocap and voice actor for a few AAA and a couple of indie titles. I've also worked a fair bit in film and TV and done a ton of BBC4 radio plays. In my experience, the most striking thing about the contrast between video game acting and other mediums is that the standard that is expected and accepted in recording sessions is by and large much lower. You sometimes get the lines not just on the day, but actually only in the room when you're recording. No time to prepare or finesse. And then you blaze through page after page of barks and scenes with few retakes and little idea of context. Nowhere near, nowhere near enough time to develop something with a high level of naturalism. It's often all you can do not to make it sound actively bad. Now, there are many wonderful exceptions to this, things like The Last of Us, etc. And I've had the privilege of working on games which are more like that too. In other words, careful, thoughtful direction from professionals used to working with actors and getting good performances, but they are not the norm. As far as I can see, until most video game developers decide to invest in achieving the level of acting you see in decent quality film and TV, it will not appear. And equally, of course, until most players start to value it, it won't happen either. At the moment, it seems... Uh, it's a minority of gamers, of whom I am one, who value the standard of acting in games. And by that, I don't mean they enjoy awful performances, rather that most people are content if it sounds roughly in the right ballpark. It's interesting what you were saying about how to create realistic performances from actors with FOCAP. In that sense, BBC Radio 4 has been doing these things for years. 
I did a fair number of radio plays in the Archer's studio, which is packed full of Foley kit and equipment, including an amazing staircase to nowhere with four different surfaces from concrete to wood. <laughs> but beyond just creating sound effects that integrate with the performance is a simple matter, of course. You always do your best to do physically what the script describes, so it sounds like... <laughs> just like what the script describes, whether that be running or jumping or snogging. Although with the latter, you often sort of suck on your own hand while trying not to make eye contact with your bow in the scene for fear of corpsing. I- Chris, try it. <laughs> I'm making a weird noise. <laughs> well, I think because you were making full eye contact with me while you were doing that, maybe that's the problem. Sorry. Uh, yes, I should have been looking at Tom. The... <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs> I can even remember one time nearly passing out from my efforts to climb an imaginary t- tree and forgetting to breathe. <laughs> now that's dedication to the craft. Slow down, Willem Dafoe. Um, <laughs> um, anywho, all I'm saying is I personally wish that more video game developers would work with film, TV and radio pros slash directors slash producers and invest a wee bit more time and money into getting good performances. It's entirely achievable. and would make interminable and exhausting cutscenes and world building this done so much these days, not an almost deal-breaking chore to sit through, at least for this old thesp. All the very best, a known a man. That's cool. Yeah. Just thought that was an interesting perspective. Yeah. Um, playing Odyssey. Odyssey, like, I mean, games these days are just so big, and they have so much in them that they're everything at once, and so Odyssey has some great voice acting and some great moments and some moments of subtlety and, and, and brilliant digital performances where, like, the... Um, you know, the actual like motion capture and animation stuff is, is really selling it. And then it has like, if you rescue someone from a cage in that game, they'll just say like, you're an amazing hero. Thank you. <laughs> and away, in just the most fake, absurd way. And I, I literally was recently at like letting a bunch of people out of cages because it's the thing I do a lot in that game and just thinking if that, if this was a movie or something, people would be literally walking out of the cinema at this point. <laughs> like it's so bad. Yeah, right. This is the thing, right? So I was having this thought when I was reading this email. Obviously, the, the suggestion posited to make the standard higher and to improve things is a good one. However, what we've established is the standard is actually really low, which seems like an asset opportunity that isn't being seized upon right all these game developers go out and they get loads of extras in they get like you know i think there was a stat like red dead redemption 2 was the highest employer of actors in the new york area for the years in which it was in production (laughs) it's like 1200 actors or something and most of them are just going to go like howdy and then go ah and there's like the third entire day in the studio and that's all they get out of those people and then there's obviously a commitment to just having a lot of that and having it all be different which is sort of notable in its way but surely this is an area where something like the unity asset store could could step in <laughs> right you already have extensive music and sound effects libraries i mean maybe this already exists to some extent but how far away from bark libraries are we really because <laughs> if you if you if the line was like thanks you're an amazing hero yeah. then we just record it once doesn't matter ah, if it's i can't believe you killed me with a sword of haste <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like, wow, you've really performed this task for me. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. I, to be honest, a lot of these, um, you can, like, game dialogue is usually done in, like, a Google Doc spreadsheet or an Excel spreadsheet. Right. And it is uh, a case where, like, for this event, we need at least five different lines. And so some writer has to fill in those those cells and then some actor has to read those things. And it really doesn't work in practice because you're going to do that thing more than five times so you're going to hear those again and again and given that 
like having five really specific takes on this and hearing each of them like two to three times is terrible because you hear them even twice and it's like why are you saying the exact same thing as that guy in the exact same voice whereas if they just said like thanks I can hear that a hundred times. I will never be like, why are you saying thanks? The other guy said thanks. What's wrong with you? I can't believe you've shot me on my birthday. <laughs> Another perfect box. Um, I kind of want to just do this. I, 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 I can't believe you shot me on my birthday, the 26th of April, 1946. <laughs> the war's over, you madman. <laughs> We've got a little scene going here. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah, I quite like to see the opposite, like a game where you just do extremely specific barks and then repeat them. <laughs> <laughs> but no, what I'm saying is, yeah, you're right. These things are generic. And, and I mean, I'm maybe going to do the, the, the field of video game writers out of a, a job here because, you know, what I'm saying is, you know, let's automate this. You know, does, um, does the industry need a lot of people writing grenade or, you know, there's a pineapple behind this bin or whatever, like, you know, uh, you're, I don't know, 18 different versions of there's a grenade down by the time you get to that one. Does that need to happen? Or could we just have an asset library where it's just, you know, grenade yell male thirties? Yeah. But don't quite a lot of people do that. Like there, there are like, there are some open source libraries or at least relatively cheap libraries for particular sound effects. Well, yeah, I mean, I mentioned that. I'm assuming that. That's what I mean, but like there are, but I, as far as I know, there isn't a, a huge I guess, video game box. Like okay. one problem could I am be mostly also joking. Oh, okay. No, no, I was just kind of like, sorry, I wasn't in on the skit. <laughs> it's it is tough because there's although like ninety percent of what a guard is going to say is generic. Uh, if you're getting those generic lines from the asset library, and then you need them to ever say something specific to your game, like the name of your character or something, and you don't have that line, they can't suddenly change voice for that. Hmm. <laughs> Must have been space rats. <laughs> <laughs> or Done. even if, like, everything that they say that's incidental, like, ooh, or, ooh, or thanks. And then suddenly they're like, I need you to go on a mission <laughs> to go to this thing, please, thank you. You know? And and then you're like, what's happened to you? And they're like, I've got a cold. <laughs> you can fix this. Although- Jeff Lyon says, I've got a mission for you. The details are in this letter. <laughs> there. That's the only bark you need. <laughs> Which will be read in your own voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, exactly. In your own time as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, all they said, like, Oblivion did both, uh, many, many different characters all having clearly the same voice actor and those characters changing voice actor when you talk to them about something else. <laughs> yeah. I suppose this was also actually the issue with the arrow and the knee line is that it was mm, too specific yeah. for as generic as it was. Like, Obviously, that's a, a tiresome meme from eight years ago. But nonetheless, it became that because, yeah, it's like there's, there's an art to, um, same with the sweet roll thing. Like, how do you write suitably yeah. generic that you can bear that a lot of repetition and not have it the same phrase? The thing that really blows my mind is when they have a really specific line like that and then you'll hear it in like three different actors' voices. It's like, really? You're, like, you could afford the studio time for multiple actors to record this, but you couldn't afford the writer time to just rephrase it a little bit just so that it's not... Because that completely breaks the... <laughs> like, hearing the same line multiple times is like... It, it's an unfortunate reality that we sort of are super used to. But then when you hear a different actor say the same line word for word, it's just totally like reality is shattered now. I don't know what the hell is going on. I used to be a carpenter like you until I got a hammer in the eye. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Thank you for this insight, though. It was useful. Um, And I hope it happens. I don't know. I like the sound of the staircase. Mm. Yeah, that's the point. 
Oh, <laughs> Fine. Joseph writes, Dear Tate and Moma. That is quite good. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, if you met someone in the year 2019, which is now, who was into paintings, they would not only have a comprehensive understanding of modern art, but okay. also... <laughs> also be able to speak at length on great works or artists from 500 plus years ago. Would they? The year is 2519 and you meet someone who is into games. Oh. This is a question. Thanks, Joseph. So the question really is, uh, obviously games are a young medium and it is currently feasible for someone to be a big nerd about almost all of it. Eventually, though, game will be old, and presumably in this posited future, Earth not on fire, so or underwater. So, you know, what what will it mean to be into games when games are a medium with the same kind of history that I don't know paintings have? Pip, art correspondent, I reports. Mean, well, I you heard me. I literally took issue with at least two of the basic <laughs> premises of this thing because I have a degree in art history, and I would say that people can be into painting and have not a bloody clue about modern mm. art and people can be into painting and have no idea even what uh old historical sort of masters first names were so i you know i think both of those things like they don't they're not prerequisites of being into painting um, are there some like really uh big names in art that who were totally unappreciated in their time like i mean yeah <laughs> yes i guess there, my question is which ones <laughs> but um i mean and uh, this is like why i was also a little bit reticent about answering this because i graduated quite a long time ago yeah. so, <laughs> and all of the names fell out of my head <laughs> they were unappreciated in their time then appreciated for a while then unappreciated again after you've gotten your degree yeah <laughs> but like there's also you know like there's different like people will be appreciated in different political climates. Like mm. there are people who were very much appreciated by, for example, so Soviet realism uh, advocates from, you know, uh, that particular period of time and then have completely fallen out of favour because nothing that they did has a resonance with modern audiences apart from the people who are very interested in that time for, for particular reasons, like this sort of aggrandizing um propaganda it's like uh, it's very hard to emotionally engage with in a way that is um authentic um i would say <laughs> but i so something that was interesting because you read this out a little while ago and and i've been mulling it which is also partly why i wasn't paying full attention to the audio thing <laughs> um is that like the mechanisms by which people would get famous in that, you know, Renaissance period, you know, like you'd be, you'd, you'd apprentice maybe, or you'd, you know, and then you'd start doing commissions, particularly religious commissions or for famous local families with a lot of money and things like that. And so, you know, there was, it was, it was this thing where you were considered a very valuable commodity and you could somehow raise the status of the people who you worked for. You know, you would, you would design the tomb of a pope or you would paint a portrait and include like donor portraits of, of the people who commissioned 
the the I don't know like the deposition of Christ for an altarpiece or something um so you would sort of you would squash your sort of the the patron into the picture and sort of raise their status and they would be known as this you know um person with these philanthropic or you know religious sensibilities and so to to take that to the to the current thing like maybe the games that would fulfill a similar function would be the ones like minecraft which allow you to be more they both allow the players to inject something of themselves into it but also crucially they have such a massive footprint they would be hard to erase like they Mm. have the coverage on mainstream news websites they are all over youtube they are you know like they are names that everybody knows and that won't just fall out of the popular um memory just because you can't play on the platform that they were invented on yeah whereas i think a lot of stuff that is very critically acclaimed as soon as that platform becomes absolutely unreachable and if copyright law means that you can't emulate it really or you know like if if society goes in that direction further then once it's done it it will disappear from view whereas Mm. i think games like minecraft or games with name recognition if not you know specific um episode recognition like call of duty will will remain as touchstones that people know and will reference because they have littered the pages of yeah Mm -hmm. the the world but the other thing i would say is it might be that the the people that get remembered are the the corporate corporate bmoths like um google and facebook and games that were on those platforms because those platforms will be what's remembered like in the way that the catholic church has has Mm. heroed (laughs) all of these artists who would paint these spectacular ceilings or altarpieces or triptychs or you know like um icons and things like that like maybe it will be things that amazon's web services power or things (laughs) that you know that google because they will be the things that are kept alive because they will be the things that are not allowed to die i wonder if um like an interesting litmus test might be like if you didn't play the game and don't care about the actual play experience itself to what extent can you get away from it Mm. Uh, and if you can't get away from it even without having played it that's a like minecraft you know you don't have to have played minecraft to just feel its influence everywhere to hear it being talked about everywhere and therefore that is probably culturally significant and will be remembered and i would probably say the same about dark souls in that like the uh you know i have no uh virtually no experience actually playing it <laughs> but its influence <laughs> is just fuck you cannot get away from it just everyone is uh, you know, the number of developers citing Dark Souls as an influence is, is sort of about 70% of all of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it might also just be esports stuff as well, or at least stuff that translates well to streaming, because I think we will keep the ability to play video longer than we huh. keep the ability yeah, to boot up a PS4 yeah. or, you know, use Windows 10, mm. right? Like that stuff will endure 
they will tell the story of the teenage millionaire in the before time. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> Our final question for this podcast comes from Mitchell, who writes, Dear Creighton Crowbar, I've been making my very own video game, thanks to Tom F. for his video tutorials. Yay. Um, yay, sorry. indeed. <laughs> sorry to throw you off. <laughs> yay, Tom. <laughs> um, I'm trying to make a grid-based, turn-based, strategy-based game. But I've been stuck on the decision between square and hexagonal grids. Hexes seem to be a better approximation of free movement. And you don't have to deal with the diagonal problem, but square grids are probably easier to program and design around. What side of the fence do you fall on? Uh, what about other grids? Triangles, diamonds, non-uniform grids? Maybe I'll just give up and use all of them. Thanks for reading each and everybody. Mitchell. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, <laughs> a big topic. Uh, short answer for me is, is that square grids are probably easier because like the the ways that you store things positions coding wise are super simple for square grids. It's just a 2D array and it's just done and it's, it's inherent in the, in the language you're using and the structure of the, the code you're using. That'll all be inherently supported. Hex grids, uh, there are ways like I read. So I've made a hex grid game. Um, and I read years before I'd, I'd been following this blog that uh, called red blob games, which is a really good blog for like explaining some deep technical issues. Like how you, how you do you, Procedurally generate landscapes using, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but Veronoi randomness, um, noise. Uh, and this person has a whole chapter on how you make a hex grid, how you convert it into a sort of 2D array and how you give coordinates to a hex grid. Cause you know, in the, in the normal sense, you kind of can't because like depending on how you orient it, there might be vertical rows of hexes, but the horizontal rows of hexes are kind of bumpy. They go up and down. So this, this, uh, in column two, uh, these hexes are exactly between the row one and row two of the, of the previous one. Mm. And so it's, it's the worst case scenario for assigning like a really logical, intuitive number to where it is. And there are ways to do it, but it's a pain in the ass. Uh, with Morphblade, uh, which is my hex based game, I literally just didn't do it. <laughs> I just <laughs> didn't have a grid. Uh, there is, that sounds kind of bizarre, but like there's no array data structure for where things are stored in there. Um, everything just knows how far a hex should be away from it and what the possible angles to look in are. And so if I need to check two things are adjacent rather than looking at it like a 2D array, I just measure the distance between them in like actual pixels and then say with a certain tolerance, like is it within 1.1 times what I expect it to be and 0.9 times what I expect it to be? There are programmers oh. listening to this who are t curling their toes <laughs> like, no, you can't do that. That's terrible. Um, but I did and it worked. <laughs> so fuck you. Yeah, because uh, I was thinking cause with a, with a, um, with a hex grid, surely i say surely in the most sort of irritating way <laughs> to game programmers um but would you not be able to do like you said with angles like because it's 60 degrees would yep. be every you know you, you would change to a new face of the of the hex and so you know you'd just be like if a thing is at 60 degrees separation then that's adjacent or you know like as in if well, you there need are to measure two distance things, as well yeah okay yeah uh but yeah there, there are like abilities in morph blade that like if if i'm in a straight line with this person on a hex grid then I but can that feels them. like manageable and trigonometry so, yeah that's right? easy it's just angles um okay. uh but yeah i didn't try and fit them into an array because i knew i would get confused about like <laughs> th this thing is at one one and this thing is at one two uh 
I can't immediately picture in my head what that looks like. Is it above it or below it? And that mm. kind of stuff. Um, and so it just measures it and, and it's, uh, not worth it really. The, the reason I did it with Morphblade was that it was explicitly, um, uh, riffing on Imbroglio, which is a square grid based game and Hoplite, which is a hex based game. Um, and I was interested in like, there are certain moves you can do on a hex grid that are kind of cool that you can't do on a, on a square grid. Like you can move past somebody in a single cell change. Like if you just move to an adjacent cell in, in Hoplite, there's an attack that where you slice them as you go past them. And you can't do that on a square grid because if you only move one cell, you didn't move past anybody because they were either in alignment with your last position or your current position. Mm-hmm. Um, it is tricky. Uh, the, the questioner asks about the, the diagonal problem, which is that in, on a square grid, things that are, you know, directly above or below and to left and right are one distance away. And then things that are diagonal to you are 1.4 times that distance. Um, and so that can look weird, but honestly, it's not as much of a problem as it sounds. I think, I don't know. I think, I think this comes into its own as an issue when you have, um, any, like Fire Emblem has this. There's a bunch of games. Um, uh, all of the, apart from Teamfight Tactics, which uses hexes, um, all of the other, uh, auto battlers have this. Like, when you, when you have abilities or spells or whatever it is in your strategy game that have an area of effect, it is, particularly if the area of effect emanates from a point, it is often much more intuitive what that means on a hex grid than on a square grid. Hmm. Because, like, the oldest question in the book for any square grid-based strategy game, whether that's on a tabletop or in in a video game, is do diagonals count as adjacency? Mm. And that's, like, and if they do, then, um, you know, what would be a circular AOE in any other game becomes a square. Because that's how that works. Yeah. But you can get something much closer to a circular AOE in, well, it becomes a hexagon, which is closer to a circle. Like, <laughs> you know, in, in, in a hex grid system and you have much more freedom with shapes. And also those shapes become much more intuitive to like where they'll go. Like there's a lot of, um, you know, Fire Emblem, which I've been playing a lot of has an issue with its battalion abilities having sometimes some weird ranges and weird areas they affect. And they're only weird because they affect a certain distance of squares, but angles on, on, you know, if something is, it can be done a certain number of squares in front of you and then a some certain number of squares either side of that in a T shape that fit can feel much more arbitrary as an attempt to recreate a cone, for example, hmm. on a, on a, on a square grid than on a hex grid, particularly. Um, and I think there are other issues, other reasons you would go with hexes. One of them is visibility. Um, while it can be harder to arrange the hexes themselves, like, uh, this is a big advantage Team Fight Tactics has, I think, is the visibility of who you've got and who they've got is actually a little bit easier because mm-hmm. um, a hex grid naturally creates a kind of isometric offset between where things are positioned. So on a, on a square grid, it's really easy for units to stand directly in front of each other um, or close close to directly in front of each other, but that is not possible on a hex for obvious reasons. So, yeah. Sounds harder, but I think it's easier for games. Hmm. I would also suggest have you considered some kind of 3D arena where there are pentagon spaces, <laughs> much in the manner of a football. Because if you haven't, then either of the other options will immediately seem a lot simpler, you know? Wait, so do, do pentagons tessellate on a sphere? Well, isn't that how, um, like, yeah. Yes, they do. Cool. That's well. I mean, not a sphere, but you end up with a. Is it an icosahedron or a? 
dodecahedron. It's a hedron of some kind. <laughs> it's some it kind has of to be. But um, yeah, so that's like footballs are generally like pentagons, I believe. Um, cool. Tessellated into that general format and then blown up. Another thing to consider for the game you're making is what kind of spaces are you going to be representing? Because for Tactical Breach Wizards, we did not do a hex grid because we are going to be uh, having fights taking place in buildings, which are just going to be rectangles. They're just going to be like, you know, most buildings in the world are just fucking rectangles. They're boring. And if you have a hex grid, now the edges of your cells don't line up to where the walls are going to be. And so that means your walls have to take up an entire cell and that gets awkward. And also there's going to be a disparity between like how much buffer zone there is for a horizontal wall versus a vertical wall or, or however you want to phrase it, north, south versus east, west. Um, and yeah, with a square grid, obviously everything just lines up nicely and we can have our walls happen between the cells, which gives us more interesting space give, for the same size of grid cell. I think I've seen people try and work around that with like, um, they'll have the hexes laid out that don't quite go to the ends of the room. They'll have like, you know, they'll be arranged around, I don't know, like treasure piles or they'll be <laughs> arranged around, you know, detritus so that it offers like an interesting tile set, but it also can like fit within the room. But yeah, like mm. it's kind of, it's interesting to, to think about it in that way. If your game takes out, takes place on basalt columns, <laughs> definitely go for hex grids. <laughs> Gratifying. Hex chat. I love, I love this shit. <laughs> uh, if you would like to send us um, some gratifying questions about shapes for a future episode of the podcast. Or just your favourite shapes. What's your favourite shape, Pip? I like a uh, triangle. Yeah? Mm. Mm. Very sturdy triangles. Tom? Despite all my co- all my comments, uh, probably hexagon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not always the best choice for a grid, but they are very satisfying. I think I like circles. <laughs> Oh, you would. <laughs> Classic mm. circle like a Just a big old circle fan. Um, You're a circle jerk. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well. I suppose if, you, if you'd like to be nice to me instead of mean, you can email us at questions at creightandcrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at creightandcrowbar. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash creightandcrowbar. And thanks as ever to our Patreon supporters, uh, you can find out about, uh, the podcast and, 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 sorry, the Patreon and how it supports the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash, uh, crate and crowbar. Uh, Twitter is do. <laughs> Perhaps my Twitter at C Thurston, C T H U R S T E N. Hashtag kelp desk. <laughs> Hashtag kelp desk. <laughs> Hashtag circle jerk. <laughs> oh no. Um, I am at Philippa War, which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. Yes. Uh, and I am Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Thanks. Uh, Thanks. 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 Thanks.